Well, this little section was a promise that was given to Israel as they arguably heading into the toughest time of their existence. And it was a promise about Jesus that was given and about 700 years before Jesus was born. And, you know, the Bible shares how the church first got started. And many people at that time, uh, just after Jesus had he was born, he died on the cross, he, he rose again, and as the church started to grow, a, a lot of people came to Jesus simply because of things like this promise. Um, what it was was they had known, they had had documents, they had looked at it for hundreds of years, these different things that had been written about a coming Savior. And they also, there was eyewitnesses, people who saw Jesus, who knew where he was from and different things, and they knew these different facts, and they could see, here's all these different things that were talked about, in this case, 700 years prior, and they had documents about this. It wasn't just passed along orally. They had this to look at, and then after that, hundreds of years later, here's this person, and the details match. And that's when people saw that, and they took faith and believed that Jesus was the one who was being talked about in all these ancient manuscripts, these promises that God had made, and they opened their heart and believed on that basis. And in this particular one, I think that there's a few things, and we'll just touch on them very quickly, that I think are written as a promise 700 years before Jesus, but now it's, you know, 2,000 years later, and they're still applicable to us today on things that in the same way, will help us receive this promise of Jesus. And the very first one, I'll run through them quickly, is if you notice at the beginning, it lists some names of places, and the names are for people who knew Israel would be like Upper and Lower Galilee, it's sort of talking about a region. A very, and the region is important because it helps locate where he is, but what's really curious, and the only thing I want to touch on on this first part, is the, the, the descriptor or the generalization regarding that area. And that's the word of the Gentiles. <laughs> it goes to huge describes this area, and it's Israel, Israelites there, Jewish people. Jesus came from that. He was Jewish. His disciples came from there. They were Jewish. But the descriptor or the generalization that went along with that is of the Gentiles. And, and the, the word is literally of the nations. And the reason why that word Gentile is used is because the thought was, here's all the people that love God. Here's the people that worship God. Here are God's chosen people, the people that are called by his name, God's children, the people who every Sunday 
or every Saturday, and they're going to once a week come and worship God who asked for forgiveness for their sins. Uh, that was part of their system. They grew up asking for forgiveness for sins. All the time there was reminders. Here's the people that are celebrating God in our lives. And the blessing of God, the promise is that this salvation will come from anything other than that label, <laughs> is what it's basically saying. Here's what we've come to see as this, and it's actually going to come from that part that's actually most described as everyone else. <laughs> when, uh, when Jesus first started calling his disciples, we, we've looked at this before, one of his disciples, I believe he was from Galilee, so he was viewed as, by everyone else, as the least likely person that God would use. But, but for him... The first thing he said about Jesus is, well, Jesus from Nazareth, can any good thing come from Nazareth? In other words, he had this view of where Jesus was from and a generalization about that area that, that this isn't the type of person that I'm going to be able to get anything out of. <laughs> this isn't the type of person that's going to be able to contribute to my life. This isn't the type of person that I'm going to be able to have a- as a friend. And if he had stayed in that, he would have missed out on the greatest friendship that he ever had in his entire life, which was with Jesus. The greatest adventure that he would ever have being a disciple of Jesus. In other words, he had to let go of, can anything good come from Nazareth? People had to let go of, here this is of the Gentiles, they had to be willing to let go of that in order to receive the blessing that Jesus was bringing. And and that's something that I think is really important for us. You know, when Jesus said, you know, pray for your enemies. What what what, what does he mean by pray? Pray that they be destroyed? (laughs) No. Saying, look, you've got this problem with someone. How can that problem be solved? He says, go make friends with your enemy on the way to court. (laughs) Here's a good way. One way of having it solved is have that person removed. Next person comes along, have that person removed too. Next person, have that person removed. You can go through the whole world until you're standing all by yourself. He's saying "There's, there's another thing you could pray for. You could pray that that person becomes your friend. And, and oftentimes, the, you know, you'll find that the person that you view as your enemy, they don't necessarily view you as an enemy. But, but whatever the case is, it's this idea of us thinking this is where the most likely place will come and Sometimes we just have to let go of that and just say, whether it's the most likely or less likely or whatever the likeliness is, my hope is that God will bring it about. And what he's doing when he brings someone into our friendship of someone that, you know, maybe to start with, we just thought, well, I don't have anything in common with this person. 
There's nothing about this person that, that I think is going to be able to contribute. When he brings a close friendship through that, it hopefully would make us feel this is something that, that God has done. The next little part brings it out a little bit more clearly. It's developing the same line of thought. It talks about this battle, the cloaks rolled in blood, the booted warrior, and it talks about the uh, oppression uh, of Midian and being freed from that, and it's a reference to the story of Gideon. And a lot can be said about the story of Gideon, but the most sort of obvious general thing that that comes to mind, uh, if you've ever heard the story, is basically this, that God was going to free them from the oppression of the Midians. People from Israel showed up, they were called, to fight this battle, and it was a meager amount of people. The Midianites were just Hundreds of thousands, far, I think it, the reference it uses is like the locusts, which we can't really tell what that, you'd have to go on National Geographic or go on YouTube or something like that to see what that would look like. And it means just like, you open your eyes and it's just black with, I mean, there's just locusts everywhere. <laughs> there's no way that Israel could have won with the amount of people that showed up. Even if everyone in Israel, men, women, and child had shown up, they still would have been dwarfed. And even if the other army was smaller than Israel, they had the booted warriors. Israel had no means of making war. that They couldn't have won even if they had been. In other words, every factor was completely impossible for them. And what God said is, actually, I'm going to, why don't you send some of these people home? Why don't you send quite a few of them home? And then God said again, no, send more home. You know, a lot of times, just as we feel like, you know, with friendship, it needs to be someone that I'm, that I think I can be a friend with. A lot of times we face situations and we just always think, we just always think that the solution is I, I just need more. You know, I just need more cash. I just need more opportunity. I just need, and we just always think more, more, more. But in this case, God is pointing us in the promise of Jesus to the idea that actually what they needed was less. And, and think about that. A lot of times when we think, well, I just need, well, why do we need more? I just need the security that comes with more, maybe. But if it's security that we're looking for, then it might actually come with getting less. See, with Gideon, what they really needed to know was that God was with them. And in that situation, the understanding that God was with them came from the same thing happening that would happen if they had gotten more troops better equipped army, more planning, the, you know, all that, it actually came with them having less, 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 and with less, the same victory came, and it wasn't the victory, it was now they walked away understanding, oh, 
I guess God is with us. Or they should have. The passage ends with saying a a child will be born to us, a a baby. That the, the promise was fulfilled on the day Jesus was born, uh, the day that we're celebrating. And, and when Jesus was born, he had no money, had no place to lay his head. Later on in life, he said the same thing, I have no place to lay my head. <laughs> but it says the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Father, God, Prince of Peace. And when we think of things like government or getting wise counsel, you know, I'm going to go down this path, I just need to get some wise counsel. What is it that we're asking for with those things? Well, I just like this to work. Well, what to work out? <laughs> well, this project, this plan, this... Uh, and what, what is it that we hope to have from that? Well, I, I don't know. I feel like safety, security, you know, I don't know. What he's saying is, is that when Jesus came into the world and joined himself to us, it meant that that's all that we need is Jesus. And all that we need is for him to be connected to us as a baby. And from that connection, from when he was born, when he became one of us, from that connection, it placed God with us in our midst forever for all of eternity. The history of God is now forever intertwined with us. And that fundamentally changed things. And what the promise is, is that all that we need is Jesus. In other words, we don't need to like have Jesus complete our plans. We just need his plan. We have these ways that we think, well, I need this and this and this because I need this to work out. And in order for this to work out this, none of that needs to work out. The only thing that needs to work out is that Jesus is here in our lives. And if he is here in our lives, then what this promise is saying, whatever it is that we had hoped for down this other road is actually just useless and is actually oppressive in the same way that the Medians were oppressive, oppressive both to us and to everyone else. But what it is that we want to get from that is already there, and it's with Jesus. And what that means is, whatever it is that we hope to have, we can just come to him and ask for, just straight out. I'm having a a problem with this person. You you don't have to figure out how that's going to work out. Just pray it works out. You now have Jesus. He's a part of your life. You can just ask him, just, can you just work this out? feeling stressed about a job or plan or family or this or that. You keep thinking, if I just had some more money or if I just... Actually, you don't need any of that. 
is all you need is whatever comfort you would have from some extra money. That comfort is found in just knowing Jesus, the God of the universe, is one of us, is in our life, loves us, and cares about us. That all our hopes, all our fears, all our plans, all the things that we're doing, it's all fulfilled in Jesus, in a sense that Jesus is in our life, in a sense that, that God does love us, he does care about us. And in order to receive that, there's some things we may have to let go of. Things like, well, maybe it would be more clear if I had less. Now we're going to take a moment uh, And the band's going to come up, and we're going to take communion. And let's uh, just close our eyes, and we'll pray together before the communion. As everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if uh, the Lord's been stirring on your heart that that you would like to know that that Jesus is there, and, and you'd like to receive Jesus Uh, Raise your hand and I'll pray with you. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming into our life and help us to let go of all the things that that we think we understand and think we know and the places where we think things should come from and where our hope should stand. And I pray that you would just work it out in a way that we can see that Our hope can just be in you and and that you love us and that you care about us and and the mechanism of government, counseling, everything that we're looking for is resting on your shoulders and it's a burden that you're carrying. And help us to just find rest in that. Lord, we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had supped, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. I'll pray, and then as we sing these songs, if you have received Jesus. He's asked us to remember the life that he gave for us. You can come up and pick up a piece, break it, and dip it in. Jesus said, today we just celebrate you coming into this world, and we just thank you for the life that you lived and the life that you gave for the forgiveness of our sins. Help us to remember that this is our, this is what our relationship with you is built on, your sacrifice and our forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a wonderful uh, Christmas, reuniting with family and friends, 
uh, spending time with people. Lord, help us to remember what it takes. Your sacrifice. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.